0: This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor of Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. Uh, my prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, if we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at We'll be in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 32. And before we uh, begin there, I wanted to remind you of Galatians chapter 2, where Paul is writing to the church of Galatia about an interaction between Peter and the Gentiles, What happens here is Peter is doing uh, lunch or something of that nature. He's at a table eating food with the Gentiles, uh, the people who are um, not Jewish but uh, from another nation and did not have a Jewish background. Um, He is spending time with Gentiles who eat unclean things and impure things, things that Peter would never eat. So Peter is spending time with the Gentiles and James uh, and the circumcision party, which are the people who may believe in Christ but uh, still follow a lot of the Jewish uh, rituals, events, festivities, uh, circumcision, and eating laws, the food laws. Uh, They still follow those things. They send a party to investigate, sort of see what Peter's doing. Peter's at the table of the Gentiles, and Paul witnesses. He sees and hears about, knows about this situation where Peter leaves the table with the Gentiles and is like, I'm not going to be a part of that. Like I don't want to be seen with them, so he goes and he lets the uh, this group from Jerusalem see him uh, separating himself out himself out from this group. Okay, now back up with me to Acts chapter nine, verse thirty-two. As Peter was traveling from from place to place, he also came down to the saints who lived in Lydda. Well, there he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ tells you, get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. So all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. She was always going, uh, doing good works and acts of charity. About that time, she became sick and died. And after washing her, they placed her in the upper room, in a upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men to him who urged him, don't delay in coming with us. So Peter got up and went with them. When he arrived, they led him to the room upstairs, and all the widows approached him, weeping and showing him the robes and clothes that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. He knelt down, prayed, and turning toward the body, said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her stand up. He called the saints and widows and presented her alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Peter stayed for some time in Joppa with Simon, a leather tanner. So we see twice in this passage this word, get up. You see it throughout uh, Acts, and I've shared with you a little bit. I think this becomes an emphasis. There's a fr- this phrase becomes an emphasis for Luke, that people are responding to authority. So you'll see uh, authoritative figures who are Romans stand up to say, get up with power, or raise up. Uh, we see uh, Sanhedrin officials, so religious officials, stand up. Gamaliel says, get up. He has he uses that same phrase. We see God use it with Saul. Get up and go. We see God use it with Philip. Get up and go. We see God use it with Ananias. Get up and go. We see this phrase often used. We see it now in two miracles. Uh, both of them using the same phrase. Get up. Uh, so we... I think what we need to do is we need to emphasize and see that God is doing something through Luke, the writer, to say that we have, we have a responsibility to get up. Whether it's responding to miracles or the authority of God, there's something telling us to get up. I want to walk with you. Continue with me in chapter 10. There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. Okay, now pause. Caesarea was a city that had become the political capital of Israel. By 6 CE, Herod the Great took over, it was given to him to take over and rule over it. So the Roman authorities gave Herod the Great the responsibility of stewarding over this land. Pontius Pilate, by the time of this writing, Pontius Pilate was in that area as well, Caesarea. So it was the political area. It was controlled by Roman authorities. It had Roman centurions. It was Gentile by nature, so it was unclean, impure to the Jews. Like, it was full of Gentile culture. Jerusalem's the spiritual capital for the Jews, but... Uh, to a large extent, Caesarea had become, it really was the political capital of Israel. So if you wanted anything dealing with merchant, dealing with taxes, dealing with payments and dealing with all those different things, just like we have to deal with, you would go to Caesarea, which would be in Gentile country, uh, uh, country area. There was a man there named Cornelius. Now, Cornelius was a centurion, which meant he led a significant amount of, army, uh, of men who uh, led an army in the army it specifically was called the italian regiment so he was roman through and through like he fought for rome was under the political authority of rome uh he was gentile obviously he ate what gentiles ate did those different things but walk me through verses two through three he was a devout man and feared god along with his whole household he did many charitable deeds for the jewish people and always prayed to god About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius. So this, what they would call this man, Cornelius, is a God-fearer. What a God-fearer was is that it meant that they gave a significant amount to synagogues, whether it be financial or protection. So you can think about a Roman centurion. Uh, he had guards. He had influence in the army. He led in the army, and he protected synagogues, gave to synagogues financially. He was seen well in the eyes of the Jews, uh, it says, and he um, would pray to the God of Israel. That doesn't mean he only prayed to the God of Israel. That's It means that he did pray to the God of Israel, which means he could pray to all the other Roman gods and any other gods he'd like to, but he also prays to the God of Israel. So by no means will we say that this man is a a Jew or by no means will we say he's a Christian. He's not following after Christ, but he has a respect for the Jewish religion and the Jewish God. And so an angel comes to him, an angel of God comes to him and says, Cornelius, in verse four, it says, staring at him in awe, He said, what is it, Lord? The angel told him, your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. And when the angels who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier who was one of those who attended him. After explaining everything to them, he sent them. To Joppa. So here's first vision. Now remember last week we had two visions one for Saul one for uh, Ananias. We're going to again have this repeated. We're going to have two visions, one for Cornelius and one for Peter. So here comes the second vision, verse 9. The next day, as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. He became hungry and wanted to eat, but while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. A voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said, For I have never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. Again, a second time, the voice said to him, What God has made clean, do not call impure. This happened three times, and suddenly the object was taken up into heaven. You see, it's it's important for us to put ourselves into the culture, into Peter's culture, because this is, this is somewhat difficult for us to understand. I think for Peter, it's just like, Man, this, is, this moment is like earth-shattering, like just shakes up his whole life. Think about it for him. For 1,400 years, the Jews had taught that you weren't to eat uh, unclean or impure things. Moses, 14, somewhere around 1,400 years before this, was teaching it. So it was solidified into Jewish culture. This is what you eat. This is what you don't eat. For Peter, he says that he had not... Eaten that his entire life, like he'd abstained from it. He was like faithful to this, like I'm not, not not gonna partake in what the Gentiles partake in. And then all in one moment God drops this down before him, and he's like, and and don't forget, Peter's hungry. Not only is he hungry, he's on top of a roof. So think like hungry and hot. The way in our culture we call this is hangry, right? Yeah. There's a Snickers commercial just built for this. Grab a Snickers when you're hungry, right? Which I would say more something like grab a Reese's because Snickers are awful, but no offense <laughs> if you're a Snickers fan. Um, anyways, um, Peter's you know hungry, whether he's hot or not or whatever. He's on top of this roof in a vision. He's hungry and he sees God drop this before him. And it's like, is this a temptation? Like, that's my thought. Like for Peter, like he sees the situation and God's just like, yeah, eat this. This is clean. And so you can imagine why Peter responds to him like, whoa, no, 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 God, I've never eaten anything like that. I'm not going to partake in that. I'm not going to be a part of that. We can hear Galatians 2, right? God, I'm not going to sit at that table. That is unclean. That's impure. You can hear that almost in this statement to the Lord. And the Lord's like, hey, hey, I made that clean. You didn't. Verse 17. Verse 17. While Peter was deeply perplexed about what the vision he had seen might mean, might mean <clears throat> right away the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, stood at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, was lodging there. And, and again, put yourself in Peter's shoes here. You've got Roman centurions' guards outside of your home with swords and armor. <laughs> we don't know for sure that those are on it, but this is what they walked around in, right? This was their army. They're outside of your house, and they're yelling for you. Think about what Peter's feeling. Like, hey, uh, Simon, what what are they here for? Like, are they looking for me? You know, like, what do you want? Verse 19. While Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit told him, three men are here looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them with no doubts at all, because I sent them. Okay, again, sure, God. I'm just going to go with these guys. It's going to be all good. I'm not supposed to have any doubts whatsoever about the fact that these guys from Rome are here looking for me. It's all good. Right? Like, do you feel that? Can you feel that with Peter? He, his, his whole world has been sh- just shaken like completely by this fact that God has just said, hey, the things you haven't been eating for like 20-ish, 30 years, Peter, go ahead and eat those again. And by the way, there's some uh, Roman guards outside. You're going to go with them. (laughs) He's just like, like God's just leading him and telling him what to do. And he's just like, okay, whatever. Like God, you tell me what to do. Like I'm doing it. Like. I love watching how Peter works in the midst of God's plan and God's mission, not because of who he is, but what God is doing. And remember verse 20, it says this, get up. Again, there's that phrase, get up. God's authority, get up, go downstairs. This is what you are to do, Peter. Do as God has called you to do. Verse 21, then Peter went down to the men and said, here I am, the one you're looking for. What is the reason you're here? And I, I mean, I don't know how we should say that, but I feel like there may be, should be some like chattering in his voice, some fear in his voice. I, like, I don't know. God told him to ha- not to have any doubts at all, but I don't know about you, but like when I'm walking down there into this scenario, like seeing this situation, try to put yourself in this situation, and it's just, uh, there's gotta be some sort of fear, some sort of hesitation. But Peter, just obedient to the Lord, goes downstairs, does exactly what he ca- calls him to do. Here I am. What are you here for? Verse 22, they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who has a good reputation with the whole Jewish nation, was divinely directed by a holy angel to call you to his house and to hear a message from you. Peter then invited them in and gave him lodging. Oh, that's all? You know what I'm saying? It's like, what are you here for? You're going to kill me? You're going to take me with you? Where are you leading me? Are you taking me to this Saul dude that's going to try to kill all the Christians? Like, where are you taking me? And they're like, oh, no, actually, there's a Jewish guy who wants to hear about Jesus. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Why didn't you say that when you were yelling up the stairs? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> the next day, he got up and set out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went with him. The following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshiped him, but Peter lifted him up and said, stand up, I myself am also a man. Man, just like feeling all of the emotions of Peter walking into this place. And you gotta think that like Cornelius has heard something about Peter or maybe he's just still kind of like, man, I just saw an angel of God tell me to call you. So you gotta be something significant, right? Either that or he's heard that Peter just, two people who were, one of them was dead, got up and lived. And they heard the story or something of that nature. And so Peter, a Jewish man who followed Jesus, who's being threatened to be killed by Jews, walks in and a centurion falls to his feet. Right in front of Peter's feet, just like laying there in front of him. Peter's like, no, nah, nah, get up. I'm just a man. And I love that because God is going to call you to places that are uncomfortable uncomfortable because of what they do, what they eat, what they look like, what they say, all these different things, what it smells like. God is going to call you to a place of being uncomfortable. And when he does, oftentimes what we do is we go into that place and we're like, hey, but I'll I'll go there. But talk to me about my protection. Talk to me about uh, how many people are going to be there. Talk to me about how significant it's going to be. Is it going to be a big impact? How much is it going to cost? All these different things. Peter's like, hey, I'm just a man doing what God's called me to do. Like Peter was willing to go there for one guy. Peter, the guy that just healed two people, said, get up, and they got up because of the power of the Holy Spirit, was willing to go for one man at the threat of being killed, and it's that one man, Cornelius, who gathers the other people around, but Peter's just being faithful to exactly what God has called him to do, even when it's uncomfortable. Are you willing to do what God's called you to do, even when it's uncomfortable? Now, Walk with me through this. Verse 27. While talking with him, he went in and found a large gathering of people. Peter said to them, you know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner, but God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. That's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. So may I ask, why you sent for me? Like, Peter walking into Cornelius's place, into Caesarea, and all of these things with Gentile uh, uh, immorality around him. This house is full of, like, you can imagine walking in and him seeing impure, unclean foods that he's never eaten before. When he's walking through Caesarea he might even see people doing things out in public that he's never seen before right because it's one thing in Caesarea to do something and it's different in Jerusalem because here's the difference in Caesarea people do things because in Roman culture it was acceptable it was simply acceptable to do uh immoral things that you could think of like all the different immoral things you could do a lot of them considered it totally okay to do that out in public like in the streets in Jerusalem, it's different, right? Now, it doesn't mean Peter wasn't exposed to anything that was immoral, but what happened in Jerusalem a lot of times is because it was religious, was people still did things, they just did it in private. A lot of times, like what we do in the church, like, ooh, don't cuss in the church. You're like, what? I just heard you cussing like a sailor outside. What's the difference? The four walls? I'm like, man, these are pretty powerful. You know, you're like walking to the church and it's like, you can't do anything evil. And it's like out there, it's like super evil. And you're like, what just happened? And I feel like Peter walks into this house and he's like, like, I see it all. I see you who you are for what you smell like taste like for what the things that you eat taste like and what they look like and how they're unclean and impure I see the immorality of your friends and what they're saying and what they're doing like I see it all I see you for who you are and he says you know I can't associate right like I'm not supposed to be here but God told me to so I'm here "'Cornelius replied to him, four days ago at this hour, "'at three in the afternoon, I was praying in my house. "'Just then a man in dazzling clothing stood before me "'and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard "'and your acts of charity have been remembered in God's sight. "'Therefore send someone to Joppa and invite Simon here, "'who is also named Peter. "'He is lodging in Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. "'So I immediately sent for you, and it was good of you to come.' So now we are all in the presence of God to hear everything you have been commanded by the Lord. (laughs) What an amazing, like, why did you sin for me? That's what Peter says. Somebody tell me, because like, he's gotta be a little bit like, I don't know what y'all are about to do to me. I don't know what's about to take place. I mean, he's got the assurance, but would they not? Were there not people who were deceived? Like, hey, yeah, yeah, come on over here. If you believe in Jesus, come on over here. Like, that's how they find people in nations where Christianity is illegal. Like, yeah, you know, if, it, if you're Christian, just come to this place, and then all of a sudden it's a trap, right? So Peter doesn't know what's, you know, why did you sin for me? Cornelius is like, man, I want you to tell me about Jesus. Whew. Y'all, sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes God's taking to us a place of being uncomfortable so that people who would are far from him and who would never hear the gospel because no one will get uncomfortable, God is sending you to the, be uncomfortable so that people hear the gospel who are far from him. Verse 34, Peter began to speak. Now I truly understand, but God doesn't show... Favor, uh, oh, oh, hold on. So this week I'm studying, right? And uh, it's like... Have you you ever been reading God's word and you're like, I've read this a hundred times, but I never realized it said that. Like, that's awesome. That's this passage for me. Because I've always said 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4 is the best summary of the gospel. Like, it's so, I love it. But I read this again, and I was like, man, Peter just brought the gospel to these people in such a clear and concise way. Listen to this. Verse 34, Peter began to speak. Now, I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil, because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did in both the Judean country and in Jerusalem. And yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen. Not by all the people, but by us, whom God appointed as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the appointed, uh, the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify, uh, testify about him that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins man is that not awesome like i would challenge you with this if you're if you're like man i want to share the gospel but i don't know how to share the gospel here's this 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 it's this simple just memorize that memorize that passage and when the lord calls you to go share the gospel just share that that is the gospel so articulated and clear and it's a uh, summary and it's 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 what needs to be communicated. I love that ver- that passage right there. Memorize it, communicate it, preach it to those around you when God calls you to. If you have a fear of what you're supposed to say, just say that. I want to take that fear off of your shoulders. Now look at what happens here verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. Y'all, it's not because Peter had like this moment afterwards where he's like, hey, I want everyone in here to repent. I want everyone in here to pray this prayer. I want everyone in here to think through this. Peter's preaching and God's already working. Like, sometimes we get so worried about, well, what do I do at the end? Well, what do I do at the beginning? How do I share this gospel? All these different things. Man, God God gave Peter a vision, gave Cornelius a vision, got Peter there safely, walked him into this place, said, hey, these unclean things, you can now, they're clean. It's okay. You can go there. You can be with this guy. He just preaches and is faithful, and God is pouring on the Holy Spirit onto these people. Like, Peter's just sitting there like... And you wonder, like, well, how did they, how did Peter and the apostles know? How would the Peter and the apostles know that Jesus, uh, that the Holy Spirit had been poured out on these people? Verse 45. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and declaring the greatness of God. The Holy Spirit is working before Peter even finishes the sermon has poured it out on them and the apo- or the people from Joppa with Peter see this taking place and then all of a sudden they hear now I, hearing is so why is hearing so significant Genesis 11 They're trying to build a tower to heaven you may have heard it called the tower of Babel God confuses all the languages that are there he confuses them all so they can't talk to each other all the different nations and then in acts chapter 2 the holy spirit's poured out on the apostles and what happens the apostles preach to the nations and every nation is able to understand what they say and now peter and the followers from joppa are listening and they're hearing everything that the nations have to say The power of the Holy Spirit working in people's lives to affirm this kind of faith is simply this, clarity. Clarity of the gospel. That the gospel and that they have been united across nationalities, across languages, across the immorality that they used to have, across all those things, God brings unity of speech. So that the apostle uh, Peter and so that the people with him could hear what they were saying. It's a reversal of Genesis 11 to not only that the apostles have the Holy Spirit, but the nations have the Holy Spirit. Verse verse, uh, 46 finishes with this. Then Peter responded, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. Like Peter's like, I see the Holy Spirit working in you. Don't let anyone stop this. Let's baptize these people. Look at the Holy Spirit working in them. And you've got to remember, guys, like remember with me before Peter said, I couldn't even come to your house. I couldn't be with you. I mean, remember, Galatians 2, like we're seeing in Peter's future, he still struggles with it. Like this is a struggle Peter continually deals with. Peter's like, man, I I didn't even know if I could come to you, but he saw a vision of the Lord. The Lord called him, so he got up, and he was faithful. And because of that, these people, Cornelius and the people around him come into faith, and he's like, hey, nobody can stop that because that's not a work of man. That's God working in their life. Chapter 11, the apostles and the brothers and sisters who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? Y'all, no matter how uncomfortable you are, but faithful you are, it's not uncommon for those around you who claim to be Christians or who are struggling or the church to criticize like wait you hung out with who you went where you sat down with them you you ate meals there like you went into their home you sat with that person do you know who they are do you know what they do do you know what they act do you know why would you be with them the circumcised party says you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them I think Peter, I think this resonates with Peter. We're going to see this even further on down the road, especially in Galatians 2. I think this really sunk in for Peter. Like the Jews were going to judge him. Like those who even came to faith in Christ were going to judge him. Like, Peter, you're going to sit with them. But he saw this vision from the Lord that was like, this is clean. And so he has this battle between what man says and what God says. And church, we're always going to have this battle of when God says to get up and go, you're going to have people around you who are saying, sit down and shut up and don't talk about it. Don't sit with them. Have you seen them? Do you see what they look like? Have you been around them? Do you see what they've done? Do you know what political party they are part of? Do you know what the color of their skin is? Like, don't be a part of that. And you'll hear it from everywhere, from every side, from men and women, from all different types of people like, I can't believe you would do that. And there's God like, get up and go. (laughs) Peter began to explain to them step by step. I was in the town of Joppa praying. And I saw in a trance an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners from heaven. And it came to me. And when I looked closely and considered it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth, the wild beasts, the reptiles, and the birds of the sky. I also heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, I said, for nothing impure or ritually unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice answered from heaven for a second time. What God has made clean, you must not call impure. Now this happened three times, and everything was drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were the spirit told me to accompany them with no doubts at all these six brothers also accompanied me and we went into that man's house he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in the house and saying send to joppa and call for simon who is also called uh, named peter he will speak a message to you by which you and all your household will be saved the faithfulness of Peter to go where God called him to go because God was going to work in Cornelius' life to take the gospel to the nations and now he's reporting it back. Like, Think think on this. Because a man was faithful to do what God has called him to do, other men in Jerusalem who struggle with the gospel go into people who are different than them, who are separated out from them, who are considered unclean. This man comes back and reports to them and listen to what happens. It says as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them, just as on us at the beginning. I remembered the word of the Lord, how He said, "John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit." If then God gave them the same gift that He also gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, how could I possibly hinder God? When they heard this, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, So then God has given repentance, resulting in life, even to the Gentiles. The second time that phrase is used, even to the Gentiles. Like, you you go back. Go back through Acts with me. Back to when Philip goes to Samaria. In Samaria, the people turn to Christ. And in that moment, they send people from Jerusalem to go see if this is real because they're like, wait a minute, Samaritans, no way Samaritans believe in God. No way the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out on them. Not the Samaritans. Do you know who the Samaritans are? Do you know what they're, they're like? Do you know what they do? Not the Samaritans, right? Surely not the Samaritans. Then it goes even further. It's like, surely not Saul. Saul was a murderer of Christians. No way the gospel of God can get to him. And then Saul turns and believes, right? And then again, Peter is sent. Now, this is like firsthand experience for Peter. Peter needed this. Peter needed to see this, y'all. First hand experience for Peter. Can the gospel go to the Samaritans? Yeah. Can the gospel go to Saul? Yeah. Can the gospel go to Caesarea, to the Gentiles, to the centurion, who's under the authority of Rome, who is a army leader, who is part of the unclean culture? Can the gospel go that far, even to the Gentiles? Yes. And the question for us today is, who are our Gentiles? Man. Go back to Galatians 2 with me. Peter's sitting at the table with Gentiles. And here comes the circumcision party again. And you can hear. You can hear in his ear. You ate with who? You were spending time with who? And so Peter hops up. Gets away. But he had that experience. And so Paul calls him out. He says, Paul, or he says, Peter, Peter, who are you? Who are you to not take the gospel to the Jews and the Gentiles? Puts him in his place and reminds him. And you know, well, yeah, sometimes I need that. I don't know about you. Sometimes I need that. I need the fact that God has called me to all people. Brokenness. Man, whatever that looks like, man, when you, you may say, man, I, I, I get it, but I, I can't go. There, I can't go to them. I can't experience that. I can't be around that. I can't do that. I can't be with them. Like, Matt, do you know what people will think of me? Do you know what I'd have to do to go there? Like, there's God saying, get up and go, right? But it's so easy for us sometimes to fall into the same struggle that Peter did, hear in our ears like, hey, you can't be with them. You can't love them. Look at, look at what's going on in there. Look at how far they, look at the struggles in their life. Look at the house they live in. Look at what they do. Look at what they say. And I hope that as you identify who God has called you to, Or as you simply just identify those people that you're like, "Man, those are, I could never go to them." You lay it before the Lord and you simply ask this question: "God, do you love them?" God, do you love them? I I believe this, and I hope you believe this too, that the Word of God should dictate everything we do with our life, with what we believe, how we see the world, how we do our relationships. It transforms everything. It has got to transform every part of our life. And y'all, I... I think sometimes what we let, we let happen is the culture gets to dictate truth. The culture gets to dictate what we get to talk about and what we don't get to talk about. And we got to tiptoe around all these different things. And I'm like, guys, who's your Gentiles? Who are the people that you would not love? Because the reality is, guys, you got to remember this. We are, I mean, I think the majority of people in this room are Gentiles. We are the ones that know, like the Jews would not come into your home. But because of Jesus Christ breaking down every barrier and the wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles, he sent Jews into the homes of Gentiles to take the gospel. That's me and you. We would have never had the gospel if it weren't for Jesus coming, living a life, dying a cross, raising from the dead. But because of that, we've been called to go to others who are far from God, who are separated, who are immoral, who are struggling, who are just different than us. Because God came to me when I was separated. And God has come to you in the midst of your separation. So we're not going to let culture dictate what we believe. We're not going to let culture tell us things. And in this church, as long as you allow me to preach, I'm not going to let the culture tell us what we can talk about and what we can't. And so I want to remind you of this one truth. And look, I don't know who your Gentiles are and I don't know what has separated you. So in this room you may struggle to love people who have an excess amount of money. You may struggle to love people who have very little money. You may struggle to love people who seem to be unclean. You may struggle to people to love people who are super clean. You may struggle to love people who are white. You may struggle to love people who are black. You may struggle to love people who speak a different language than you, and you may struggle to love people who speak the same language as you because of the language that they speak. Whatever you struggle with, lay it before the Lord and ask him if he loves them. Because I'm not going to let the culture tell us what we can and can't talk about. So let me just tell you what Peter says. And what is becoming to me one of the greatest gospel presentations in the New Testament Peter starts it with this. Now, I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Put him in front of the Lord and ask, do you love him? God, do you love this person? If you love them, I'll go. What a dangerous prayer. But I challenge you during this time, the worship team is going to come. There's a song called, Oh, Come to the Altar, and I just challenge you. There's going to be a couple people around. If there's some deacons in here, one of our prayer team members will be up here. If you'll just come pray. Maybe it's just at the altar. Maybe it's at your seat. Maybe whatever that means for you. Maybe it's afterwards with your life group or whatever it looks like. I just want you to ask that question. God, do you love them? And if you love them, will you send me to them? That's one of, That is a dangerous prayer, but it's a faithful prayer. What does it look like for you? Let me pray for you. Father, I'm just going to ask that same thing. God, who is there in this world that you love that you would send me to? Whether that's in this room or in this city or this state or outside of this country or whatever it looks like, God, I'll go where you call me. I pray that same prayer over our people, Father. Would you compel them to go to those whom you love, no matter who they are, what they look like, what they do, how unclean they seem to be. Father, would you send us? Here we are. Just tell us why we're here. Tell us what we're supposed to do. Send us in the midst of darkness. Father, you lead. We will trust you. In your son's name, amen. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.